Welcome back to the Fourth Way Podcast. Today we are continuing our discussion on abortion. So far we have seen that in abortion, when you are killing a fetus or an embryo, that you are killing a unique living human being. And we also discussed how humanity is not based, uh, human value is not based on degreed properties, on these things that can uh, you can gain or lose, or that are held in greater or lesser degrees. Uh, we also took a look at what most people consider to be good reasons to kill somebody, uh, which is generally self-defense or defense of someone else, defense of the innocent against somebody who is guilty, an attacker. And we looked at bad reasons to kill people, which there were quite a few bad reasons that just about everybody recognizes as bad, yet uh, I hear frequently as excuses for why abortion should be uh, morally okay. The conclusion then seems inevitable that abortion is not a good thing. Uh, it's not something that is morally justifiable, at least in in most circumstances. You know, there there would be those uh, rare exceptions where maybe a mother's life genuinely is uh, is in danger, and you're pretty sure that the mother's going to die. Uh, there might be those rare exceptions, but um, that people could argue are justified in, in forms of self-defense or double effect. Um, nevertheless, we're going to say that, by and large, abortion just doesn't make sense from a philosophical, moral, logical standpoint. Before I get into rebuttals uh, from from uh, the left or the secular uh, side who is going to push back against what I've argued so far and try to offer some, some other justifications um, or who are going to argue that Christians are hypocritical, uh, I want to take a look at bad Christian arguments. I want to kind of set the stage to show you that I think a lot of Christians are blind to why abortion is wrong, and a lot of the arguments that they use actually undermine the case uh, against abortion, and I think it's important that Christians know what they're talking about when they're going to hold to their position. Not only because that makes makes them better able to defend the position and to um, intelligently discuss it, but also because it's going to prevent them from uh, being as hypocritical in their lives. So let's take a look at bad Christian arguments. And the first bad Christian argument in abortion that I see very frequently is the use of images. Now, I I don't want to undermine... Uh, images can, can certainly be good if used in tandem with good arguments. If, if an image is not the central aspect of what you're, you're trying to say. But on Facebook, especially, a lot of times you'll see an image and the image is the central piece and it says, look how bad abortion is. And that's just, that's not a good thing for a number of reasons. First of all, it invokes degreed properties, that these things that are the core of uh, what the pro-abortion side is going to try to use, right, these degreed properties. Well, when we use images, we're invoking degreed properties. We're saying, look how human this thing looks that we killed. See, it's bad because it looks human and it's been killed. Now, that only works on older fetuses. So at best, you're, you're going to be able to, let's say, um, show that abortion from 12 weeks on is less intuitively justifiable. 
because it looks like we're killing a human being. But that still doesn't get you um, this intrinsic human value, which is what Christians are arguing. That just gets you um, this, this uh, well, at one point, the fetus becomes a human when it looks like it's human. Look how bad you should feel because it looks like you're killing a human. So I think, I think the emotional side of things and, and invoking this intuition in people can be a good thing um, to kind of jumpstart a discussion or to, you know, after you go through the logical steps to say, now look at what it is. Um, in, in tandem with other things, it can, it can provide an emotional spark. But as an argument, it just it ends up undermining the Christian case because you invoke degreed properties. And that goes into the, the second bad Christian argument too, which is uh, this idea that a, a fetus can feel pain. So you've probably seen um, in a movie, which I really like, Unplanned, I thought it was very well done, and I, I thought that it, it was compassionate towards um, those who are on the pro-abortion side, and uh, it critiqued Christians who use bad methodology in, in calling people baby killers and, and just um, all that kind of stuff. So a great movie. But one of the scenes in there is you see the, um, the, the fetus moving away from the abortive instrument that, that's going after it and trying to kill it. Um, and that was, that was very influential in getting the main character to realize that there's a problem with abortion. So just like with the images... Uh, this idea, recognizing that a fetus can feel pain, can be very important. It can kind of jumpstart the discussion, or it can kind of help to bolster this intuition that's that's within people in the discussion. But you're going to end up having the same problem that you have with images, because there's only a certain point at which a fetus can feel pain. And so if you're going to try to to make somebody think abortion is bad because a fetus can feel pain, if they end up agreeing with you, I, I don't know at what stage, let's just say 12 weeks again, um, I don't know at what stage a fetus can feel pain, but um, you know, you're going to basically just get somebody to agree that a human becomes valuable at a certain point in time because they, they take on some characteristic. And that's, that's again, going to undermine this uh, intrinsic value. And that's also going to, um, even worse than with the images, this idea of pain. I mean, you can, you can lose the feeling of pain um, at, at different points in your life. Uh, some people who are paraplegic or quadriplegic lose pain in, in certain limbs. Uh, if you're asleep and somebody shoots you in the head, right, you don't feel pain. You just die instantaneously. But we recognize that that um, the feeling of pain in a situation or as a result of a particular act isn't what makes an act bad uh, or good. It, and, and we just have a lot of problems if pain is something that we're hanging our hat on. Again, it can be a good jump start. It can be something to bolster a case. But it's not going to get you the intrinsic human value that we want to get. So the third bad argument, Bible proof texting. I see this all the time with all sorts of of um, different topics, but it's it's especially bad with abortion because uh, especially conservatives and, and with uh, our conservative view of the Bible as this kind of manual, we think that we have to find 
um, explicit instructions or ideas present to be able to prove something wrong or right. And if we can do that, then you know that's that's the trump card. And unfortunately, that causes us to lose credibility because um, it makes us come up with with bad arguments that are just that skew what the Bible is intended to do. So, for example, the one that I hear the most is is from the Psalms, and it says that uh, I think it's David or one of the psalmists who says that uh, you knit me together in my mother's womb. And that sounds beautiful. And we're like, see, that shows that um, that he was he was a human, uh, a valuable human inside the mother's womb. And there are a lot of things you could say to that. You know, well, he's saying he pieced them together, but maybe he's not saying that it, uh, he was valuable until he all came together. There are lots of things that you could you could argue back on that. But nevertheless, I don't think we even need to go there because. If you read the verses around that, he says some really weird things like about being in the depths of the earth and, and all this other stuff. And you just have to recognize that, that in the ancient Near East, they had some weird ideas about um, about people and the formation of the earth and how God did things. And it, it seems really weird to take this, I was knit in my mother's womb, but then when he talks about being in the depths of the earth and all that stuff, well, that's all of a sudden metaphor but we can take this one phrase and and make it a scientific statement. And that just doesn't make sense. And we see this all the time with uh, the psalmist especially. We'll talk about uh, like the pillars which hold up the sky and, and the firmament and all that stuff. They had these weird conceptions about the, the way that the world um, was. And you know, you see, you see this also, and sometimes uh, the biblical authors will talk about uh, like, you knew me before I was born and all this stuff. Well, most Christians today don't adhere to the pre-existence of, of our souls. Like, there's not this soul pool that God draws from and then uh, places inside of, of humans. Um, most people are creationists, not traducianists. So that, that that's an area that we recognize, oh, well... They were they were kind of using their knowledge, or what they thought they knew back then, in the way that they talked. But we can't take those things as scientific statements. Um, yet we try to force the text where we like it, and we we count it as metaphor where we don't, even though the phrases are like right next to each other. So I think the knit in my mother's womb, we can take the big idea that um, God, in His sovereignty, has known about me before I even came into existence, because uh, I don't think that there was this pre-existent soul. Maybe there was, but I don't think so. Um, so God in his sovereignty knew about me even before I am where I am today, even before I was born, even before my mother was born. And God has a, a plan for me, and God's hand is in my life, and that is comforting and and beautiful. But I'm not going to take the scientific uh, statement there because it's not a scientific statement that I was valuable inside my mother's womb. We also get other weird ideas like take, um, I believe it's in Hebrews. The author of Hebrews talks about how uh, Melchizedek um, was paid a tithe by Abraham. And because Abraham paid Melchizedek a tithe, 
Melchizedek is therefore better than the priesthood, uh, the Levitical priesthood, because Levi, through Abraham, paid a tithe to Melchizedek. And you ask, well, how did Melch how did Levi pay Melchizedek a tithe when it was really Abraham who did it? Well, the author of Hebrews says because Levi was in the loins of Melchizedek, and uh, some people argue that what the author is saying is is uh, is representing this ancient view that uh, the sperm really was the the identity, the being of of the offspring, and so Levi was it, literally who Levi was was in the loins of of Abraham, and you can see the um, the importance placed on sperm in uh, in other places you know you can see some of the the unclean laws about nocturnal emissions and such and you can also see Onan who spilled his sperm on the ground which there were other injustice sorts of things going on there but sperm was uh, was pretty important to the ancient Hebrews and they part of the reason may have been because they thought that um, that was life right the the sperm was uh, life, and therefore Levi literally was in the loins of Abraham. Well, are, are Christians going to take on this idea that sperm needs to be protected? You know, if we're going to protect embryos, do we now protect sperm? No, of course not. We would say that's a misconception uh, of the ancient Hebrews, and, and that's just not right. Um, so we don't take on that scientific idea, that scientific statement, uh, because we recognize that... Um, we don't have to take on all of the the misunderstandings of of the ancient world. They're writing from their context, and we can use that to get these overarching big ideas. But we're not going to get them use them to make every little scientific uh, minutia here. And then we even see some supposed counter texts to the value of of uh, fetal life. Exodus 21 gives an example where it sure seems like babies are valued less because of the consequence that um, that individuals have for uh, making a mother miscarry. And there there are arguments, you know, well, it's not, the mother's not really losing the baby, the, the child doesn't die, she's just delivering early. Um, okay, you know, we can have that, that sort of discussion. But at least on the one interpretation, it sure seems like babies are valued less than uh, because uh, the the cost of life until the child reaches a certain age is different than than let's say killing an adult or or an older child. And then in in Numbers five, we actually see that they induce abortions. Um, there, if a wife is presumed to be unfaithful. They can give her some concoction, and if she was unfaithful, the uh, the child will supposedly die. And you know, you ask yourself a question. Um, you know, if you're if you're a father, and your wife may have cheated, and you go take the paternity test, and find out that you're not the father, do you then go? Uh, are are we able to go and abort children, right? A, a child who is not uh, mine and my wife's, if she's been unfaithful. 
And nobody would say that. I mean, conservative Christians even say in rape, which I agree with. I think we should empathize and we should work hard in in situations of rape to walk alongside the mother and support the child. Uh, But to, to kill a child for the sin of somebody else just seems seems anti-christian yet here in numbers five that's exactly what they're doing the uh the you are basically saying wife if you were unfaithful then i'm killing the child so we have to really consider uh why we take certain things from the bible that are very ambiguous and metaphorical like being knit in our mother's womb but then things like numbers five where we induce abortions for unfaithfulness uh we don't latch on to that and say that in situations of rape or infidelity that we can abort. All right, let's uh, let's move on to the the last area of Christian problem, and that is perhaps the, the worst area, and that is the methodology of our lives. I'm going to say things here that I, I know are going to be contentious, so I would be happy to hash that out with anybody. Um, but these are my convictions, and I, I think... Um, to be a conservative, pro-life individual who's going to be consistent, you have to think long and hard about these things and question whether you're just trying to justify your actions or not. Because, And I don't say that critically because that's exactly what I have had to do and continue to have to do. As the first area is the use of birth control. Now, um, we could talk about the use of birth control in general, just like any birth control and the biblical view of children and, and all that kind of stuff. But I'm not even going to go there because that's that's a lot more gray and contentious. But very clearly, there are birth controls that are extremely problematic for Christians. I remember when, when uh, we found out that um, this birth control that is marketed as... Um, I can't even remember what it was right now. I don't know if it was just estrogen or progesterone or something. But it's marketed as as this thing that prevents um, conception, right? Prevents the egg and the sperm from fusing. Well, the, the thing is, Catalina and my wife found out that actually it has a backup method too. Um, and the backup method is that if there is conception, it prevents implantation, and then we, we start researching birth controls and realize that just about every hormonal um, or birth control pill that you can take as a woman is going to have as a backup method the prevention of implantation. And you have to ask yourself, okay, if it's, if it's 99% effective, um, then that means 1% of the time, or sorry, if it's 99% effective, right, how many percentages, uh, what amount of that percentage is going to be the prevention of implantation and what percent is going to be uh, is going to be the prevention of conception. Even if it's one time out of that 99%. So you have sex 100 times, one time you have a kid, one time it prevents implantation, and the other 98 times it, uh, it prevents conception. I mean, every 100 times you have sex, statistically you are aborting a kid. And that's, that's assuming that the percentages are that low. Um, and that's a, throughout the course of your, your fertile life, that's going to be a number of abortions that you are responsible for because you choose a birth control that 
that uh, maybe isn't the primary intent to prevent implantation, but it's a known um, probability, or I guess even an inevitability, because out of the uh, the amount of times that you're going to have sex, surely at least one of those times, that backup method is going to come into play. That was that was shocking to us because we had only ever really known about the the primary method, and we had to do a lot of soul searching. And of course, we tried to justify for for a while, um, but eventually we we're just like, now this is very very blatantly problem. If I am a pro-life Christian, if I'm a pro-anti-abortion uh, Christian, I can't use these these methods. And so we actually, um, you know, condoms, we don't like condoms, of course. They don't, they don't feel good to either of us. They feel less intimate. And so Catalina actually went in and got a, a diaphragm. And they're like, you really? That's what you want? And they had to, they had to specially call somebody in to have her fitted for it because, like, nobody uses them. Everybody just goes with the pill, um, and yeah, that was that was just uh, very telling that nobody knew how to how to fit for a diaphragm except this like one midwife because all Christians are using the pill like that's what we use, and I think most Christians are like us where they don't recognize that there is this secondary method, but and I'm sorry if you're listening to this and now you know, but that's a big problem. That's that is very inconsistent, and we've actually had this come up sometimes. With uh, we talked to one one lady who's a nurse who's I think pro-abortion, and she's like, well, you know, most Christians, uh, I don't know any Christians who refuse to use pill birth control. We're like, we do, and that's a it's a testimony. It's an opportunity to not be hypocritical. I think this also plays into the inconsistency we have in our willingness to abort in ectopic pregnancies. And I understand that that is a, a difficult situation, um, but there are a lot of mothers in difficult situations that we critique and say abortion isn't legitimate regardless of, of what this child's life is going to look like, whether they have Down syndrome or you're poor or whatever. You can't take it out on the kid. Um, e- even, if, even if the kid's going to have major problems and probably die within the first six months of life you don't you can't take on the sin of killing somebody um, because of outcomes and you can listen to uh, last season you can listen to um, I forget which episode it is but the one on ectopic pregnancies I think 12 no no I'm sorry nine eight or nine you can listen to that and hear more of the rationale uh, anti-consequentialism but from from pro uh, from anti-abortion logic, uh, from pro-life logic, you just have to recognize that that it's inconsistent to to jump on that bandwagon. And when you have a discussion with with atheists or or people who are pro-abortion, and they bring up ectopic pregnancy, it sure does help when you say, "No, I'm consistent. I if we had an ectopic pregnancy, I pray we would do the right thing." Um, and, and not abort. Uh, we also other bad Christian arguments uh, from from our lifestyle, right? Being pro-life before birth, um, not after birth. And I just like literally, I probably got ordained for this podcast, but I literally had a a conversation with uh, a neighbor here, 
and he was talking about how one of the Democrats talked about how she was going to eat babies. And of course, I looked that up, and, and it's not true. It's just ridiculous. But you know, we had a, a long conversation about how how terrible abortion is and like how these people are going to be judged and all that stuff. Um, he's saying all that stuff. And then you know, I, I brought up, well, I have, a, I have a problem with how the Republicans, the conservatives... Um, I was like, everybody devalues somebody, and the conservatives are devaluing immigrants. And then all of a sudden there is defense of, well, you know, we can't support everybody in this country. Uh, you know, we can't even provide for our own people and all, without even getting into to the excess and riches and, and stuff that we have and, and what God calls us to and generosity and such, without even getting into that. Um, you can tell that there, there was an empathy for immigrants it was all self-preservation and nationalism and um it's very true what liberals often say and that most christians uh, pro-life christians are pro-life before birth and not after birth we we justify the mistreatment of a lot of different people of our ancestors and and what they did to different groups of people uh, Native Americans, and even uh, hear people down here in the South try to justify or uh, minimize how bad slaves had it um, to kind of justify what their forebears did. Uh, we use it to justify the criminal justice system and all the inequality that's there. I mean, cons- conservative Christians especially are just so so pro-life before birth, but so very not pro-life after birth often. And um, that's something that needs to change. Why Why can't we be both? Why can't we just be pro-life forever? It's unfortunate that, that things being marked as political issues make so many Christians feel like uh, in order to be politically relevant, they, they have to cater to one side and, and hedge their bets and, and self-preserve. Um, and that's, that's a huge problem. You know, conservative Christians tend to be the party of war, the party of the death penalty, the party of wealth disparity, exaggeration, the party against health care for all, the party against better mental health, the party against gun control, the party for armed guards in schools and other places, the party for sending immigrants back to harsh environments, the party for separating families. That's quite a party. Um, not really a party that I want to crash. Uh, it's... It's sad, and that's probably the worst methodology we employ, uh, and the one that we employ most often. Hopefully that can change. Hopefully our discussion here has illuminated some of the bad arguments that, that you may have, and I'm sure I've missed some. And hopefully that spurs us on to change. Well, that's all for now. So peace, because I'm a pacifist. When I say it, I mean it.